Well, we know what it's like to feel worried and helpless about the state of our world. But we're finding comfort and inspiration from people tackling winner-take-all economics and other root causes of climate change, inequity, and global unrest. Join us on the road from wasteland to wonderland. This is part of gold. So this week, we did things a little bit differently. Instead of recording our interviews at home or over Zoom, like we usually do, we decided to conduct an interview on site. During this coronavirus pandemic, poor and marginalized communities have been struggling with the health and economic impacts of the lockdown. We wanted to get a sense of what life has been like in New York City's public housing these last few months of coronavirus quarantine and the efforts being made to take care of the city's most vulnerable populations. Mel joined Rosalba Rodriguez, the Deputy Director of Manhattan Borough President's Northern Manhattan Office. Mel tagged along as Rosalba coordinated food and supply distributions and got a good look at how public housing communities are making life work in this crisis. Mel, I thought first thought you were a little bit crazy when you told me that you want to go into public housing in New York. Well, it does seem like from the outside, it would be a dangerous situation. But really, the sanitation guidelines are being strictly followed all over Manhattan. So what, what, what did you exactly do? So every day, Rosalba wakes up and she works with a team to coordinate food deliveries to housing developments, but she handles all of Manhattan. So um, that's a huge number of giant buildings filled with residents, all in need of some kind of assistance. And they're getting assistance from a lot of different places, not just the borough president's office, but different council members, different senior services, um, government programs. So this is how the borough president decided to chip in by coordinating food deliveries to these giant buildings of public housing with residents that are um, highly affected by the virus. You see, this is, this is the reason why I was so worried when you told me that you actually go there in person, because I, I heard that they are affected so much, right? And statistics say that they are 19% of fatality rate in NYCHA nature residents. Um, that's a crazy high rate. Yeah, I mean, that's 19% versus only 8% in the rest of all of New York City. So my role was to tag along with Rosalba to help uh, her meet with the food distributor. In this case, it was Fresh Direct. Um, I think there are several food uh, providers. And then uh, just distribute the boxes so they could be picked up by the different residential leadership. So there's uh, quite a sophisticated uh, system set up to make sure that all the people who need food get food. You know, there are reportedly 400,000 residents that live in NYCHA buildings. Um, it's probably underreported, so it's probably a larger population even than that. Um, so this is, this, is, this is a look into one population that's really in need during this pandemic. In my discussion with Rosalba, she refers to two terms that aren't explained. One is CERT team, and that is the Community Emergency Response Team, which is a group of volunteers that agree to help in emergency situations. She also speaks about the leadership, 
when she refers to the leadership, she's talking about tenant leaders who live within the public housing developments and are seen as the point people for different kinds of organizing activities, like organizing food deliveries. And of course, NYCHA stands for the New York City Housing Authority. I ask questions as we go. Let's all about will you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Rosalba Rodriguez, excuse my hair, uh, <laughs> with Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer's office. I'm her deputy director at the Northern Manhattan office on 125th Street. Excellent. And what have you been doing here? I'm the designated czar, no, designated staff for the borough president um, with the Fresh Direct Deliveries um, at the Night to Developments. And we uh, put a list together where every day of the week, from Monday through Friday, we have five drop-off locations. And from this drop-off point, we disseminate the boxes to the other developments. Um, it would be nice if we can get Fresh Direct to deliver at each development, but it doesn't, um, it's not sustainable for them. So we selected the best drop-off sites to make it easily accessible to myself and others to come and pick up. So and then you, you pick it up and you deliver it to the site. No, you'll see today the Fresh Direct um, truck comes at the site and drops off pallets of boxes and we start dividing them by development. So we already have the numbers set. So we can assume, like let's say assume, each development gets 50 boxes. So each development will pick up their 50 boxes and take it along with them. Some developments aren't able to, so we have the BP van that does <laughs> deliveries too. So we help pick them up and drop them off. Um, it's the challenge of getting volunteers at the site over there once we get there to help us unload. So sometimes we get people, sometimes we don't, but we, we do the unloading as well. We good, we good. <laughs> All right, tell me again, what's your day look like? Oh, you're already doing this. Yeah. What does a day look like? A day is is the best because <laughs> you have clear roads. So driving from point A to point B is a smooth drive, no traffic. So destination becomes real easy to get to. Um, as far as the leadership, um, some of the leadership have good volunteers or members on the board and they are helpful. And then majority are seniors. So the the challenge is getting to the boxes to them and having them distribute. So it's also finding you know more volunteers to assist the leadership to get the boxes out to the residents. Um, What's in the boxes? It's 10 pounds of groceries and they consist of rice, pasta, canned goods, tuna, um, some produce like corn, onion, potato, tomato, that type of um, it's it's a nice mix, and folks love the fresh direct box. That's the the feedback. They they look forward to the boxes. Uh -huh. um, we don't we don't have enough to give to everybody because it's not to we're not like you know the the get NYC food that everybody gets. Yeah. But it's just to supplement what currently exists, right? The three one one, the food pantries, the grab and goes, and the seniors that get the hot delivered meals. So we try to I guess it's a balancing act with everyone. So majority of the developments have food coming they try to at least on a daily basis um but not all of them have like i said if they don't have a good group assisting and getting things to the development the challenges are present yeah 
Are you scared? Nope. <laughs> Why aren't you scared? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not scared. Um, I'm very careful though, uh -huh. because it's not me. It's more about the people that I surrounded by, yes. my family. So I have my brother, my, my, my brother's wife, my boyfriend and my little niece. And we all share the same space at home. So um, I just keep my distance majority of the time, minimize my uh, contact with the baby. And that's it, you know, just like everything else in life, you gotta to adjust to the changes. You know, that hasn't been, for me, it hasn't been that like dramatic. You just adapt. Interesting. <laughs> But I think you know, it's teaching on a lot of lessons, Mel. That we have not been that prepared, despite all those teams that exist, right? <laughs> have they been involved? You know, I haven't seen them. I know um, one of my leaders from St. Nicholas Houses is on a CERT team. Um, I don't know how they're operating, but I don't know, like, there needs to be more local CERTs, you know? Because I think we're going to have more of these moving forward. How else are we not prepared? How would you say that? Um, language barriers, immigration population are falling through the gaps. Because now they're extra scared. Um, so I always try to keep an eye out on that. The churches have been very involved with the immigrant population. But it's again, it's like the, the focus is not on a lot of things because of what's going on. So you have a lot of folks falling through the cracks. You know, I wish we had more boxes, you know, because we just don't. And I've been trying to like, it's like a balancing act, trying to get every development to get some boxes. And every week is like, okay, this already has boxes. Let me try to flip it around and get another development. How many boxes are, I mean, how many developments are there that you're serving? Um, all Manhattan. So 13 or? No, a lot more. I have to give you a number, but it's, it's north and south. I do. Today is East Harlem. Like yesterday was I was up in Washington Heights and Dykeman and parts of Harlem. So it was about five developments yesterday. Monday we did four. Today we have more of a selection. I think it's about six developments. Um, tomorrow we have four. And Friday we have, I believe, nine, eight or nine. So we try to divvy it up as much as we can. Um, big issue, unemployment benefits have been a huge concern, not kicking in. So what do you do in the interim? Um, you find families that don't fit the criteria, like you are a working mom with kids, but your income is too high, so they figure you don't need anything. Not necessarily, because now this particular mom, as a first responder, doesn't have a nanny or babysitter because the facilities are closed, or the centers are closed, and the schools are closed. So she has to now put out of pocket babysitting fees, which takes a large chunk so that leaves her with not, not a lot of money for fruit, right? So we find those little things along the line. So we find ways to help, right? Okay, so let's figure out how we help this particular family get food, right? Because through the city, you're like, if you don't fit that criteria, you're not going to get. So we find ways mm -hmm. within the community to assist. Fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's on a case-by-case -case basis, and it just comes to light um, as people talk with one another um, during... The, the direct the fresh direct drop-offs and they're like oh how come I can't get a box or this is my issue and you learn about what the, what the problems are as you go so I think it's also the, the fresh direct boxes are not only just serving a need 
but also learning about the need, mm. right? So you're, you're hearing when people see that, how can I? All right, let's talk. Here's my number and let's find out what situation you have and we'll figure something out. So that, that becomes a process and we learn more about the individual and, and all the other things that are happening. I find myself working more. Really? A lot more. How late in the night you make I, calls? I, I could be till 11.30 making calls. So you deliver food all day, go home, shower, and then make calls all night? Yep. Follow up emails, work, just making sure that I don't miss anything, listen to my voicemails, return calls, and, and read because you got to be on top of information, right? Because if I, if I bump into people, I want to be able to have information that might be useful to them. So I am doing a lot of that. <laughs> They're like, oh, I didn't know. It's like, I read every day. You know, the news has to provide a lot of info. We also get um, contact info. So I'm able to connect people with certain people um, for help. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they got to wait a long time, especially if the need is immediate. So I try to like cut corners for certain folks, depending upon the cases. Um, and then I, I follow up, you know, next day or a few days. And my weekends, I'm also calling and, and following up. I'm like working more than than before. I do. I get my full, my full eight hours. <laughs> I go to bed by late as twelve o'clock, but I'm up by eight, so I'm, I'm good. I'm 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 knocked out. I'm out. In addition to speaking with Rosalba, I spoke with Cynthia Tibbs, the president of an Upper West Side public housing development about all the other issues tenants are dealing with during the time of COVID. Can you hear me? What's happening? There you are. There you are. <laughs> there you are. Now we got each other. All right. Good. How's it going? Good. How are you? Okay. Good to see you. I'm glad to hear you're safe and sound. Oh yeah. How many people in your development have gotten COVID? We don't know. We, we're not privy to the numbers. In the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of the tenants were not getting tested. They were actually, and it was on TV all the time, they were going into the hospital and they were asking for tests. They were all showing symptoms and they were told to go home and shelter in place. And then we started seeing the bodies come out. So if you died in your apartment, you did not get a diagnosis of COVID. You only got a diagnosis of COVID if you died in the hospital. Wow. So their numbers are inaccurate. Yeah. Wow. And management is not going to know who actually died until this whole thing is over with. And they start trying to find out who's in apartments and who's not. Right now, it's anyone's guess because they don't know. So outside of repairs being difficult and people living in, in increasingly de depleting, deteriorating conditions, uh, I know there's an issue with food. What other issues have come up for you guys? Food is an issue, but it's tied into repairs. We actually got seniors through God and Riverside because they've been absolutely amazing. They've signed up a boatload of seniors for there, when they were giving food away, and then when they decided seniors needed to be stay home and they would deliver food to them, they had arranged all of that. The problem became getting into the building because so many of the buzzers are broken. Oh, no. The intercoms are broken. They couldn't get in to deliver the food. Wow. So 
that is becoming a huge obstacle. I have written many letters. We even wound up in the West Side Rag regarding seniors that can't get food because NYCHA won't fix the buzzer. Wow. And some of them are relatively simple. It's just the wires have come loose. So you have to open up the panel and, and you know, tie the wires back together. They're not doing it. People are still not getting food. I've literally had to go around and get boxes of food from Carmen Quinones because she's giving food to anyone who needs it. And I have had to find ways to get into these buildings to get the food upstairs to the seniors that can't come out. Childcare issues is also a big thing. Um, for instance, I have one tenant who is an essential worker. She has a three and a five-year-old. So that's pre-K and kindergarten ages. They're vegetarians. So when the kids would go to school in the morning and she would go to work, they would be fed breakfast and lunch at school. She would be home in time to pick them up. Now that there is no school, she has found herself having to spend her extra money, not only on food, but for a full-time babysitter because she's an essential worker. She has nowhere for her kids to go. So between juggling rent and trying to feed and pay a full-time babysitter, she doesn't qualify for a rent reduction because she's an essential worker. So her rent has, I mean, her paycheck has not been affected. She's still getting it. Therefore, she's expected to pay her rent. What about unemployment or um, any issues? A lot of unemployment issues. Major, major. I get calls all the time to this day from tenants that have yet to be able to sign up and get a call back for unemployment. So they haven't received not one check yet to the point that they're going online, looking for online jobs because they have to eat. They are not seniors. They are, you know, middle-aged and they are expected to provide food, not only for themselves, but their kids. And they don't have one check yet from unemployment to date. So what's the general feeling among residents day to day? Is it positive? They said that, you know, a lot of them feel that what you see on TV from the mayor and from the governor is not the real deal of what's actually happening. They talk about how there's plenty of food for everyone. Well, it depends on your circumstances. And again, if you're not getting your unemployment and you don't have any money and you don't meet the right age bracket, then food is very difficult to get a hold of. If you're saying on TV that, oh, the New York State website is up and running and Google's assisting, well, Google may be assisting, but they still haven't gotten one paycheck. But are people keeping their spirits up? Yeah, they are. As long as, you know, a lot of them are upset they've lost family members. But you know, for the sake of their kids, they have to keep their spirits up. Doom and gloom, like I tell them, is not going to fix this. Yeah. Get things done if we just wallow in despair. We have to actually write letters. We write letters all the time to management. They still go unanswered, but we leave a paper trail. We want to manage our own buildings. All right, NYCHA's fully against it because when it comes to rat impact, 
it would take the decision making out of their hands. But we have been fighting to be a resident management organization where we manage our own buildings. We have a group of men. It's an organization called Center Strong. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're actually 700 laborers, carpenters, plumbers that live in NYCHA that came up with a plan on how they could fix our development for a lot cheaper than when NYCHA outsources it to a smaller um, develop, you know, agency or, or a client, and they shot them down. Because if NYCHA can't dip their hands into the money, they won't listen to us. But that's what we've been asking for. It would be a lot easier. And I think we could get a lot more accomplished at a cheaper rate. Hmm, if we can grow our own food, then we should have some kind of, you know, regular budget with currency. Even if it's a barter exchange, there has to be some something better because what's going on now is definitely not working. Yeah. It's not working at all. It hasn't worked in decades, and at least not for the residents. If we had our own gardens, we could be giving out our own food to our tenants. If we had our own people making repairs, we could have gotten it done on time and a lot more safer than it's being done now. Because since day one, they did not care about the safety of their own workers, much less their residents. How many uh, people are in your developments living in there? We have 374 apartments. Okay. So, <laughs> so you're the mayor of 374 families, basically. Basically, 36 <laughs> buildings, 374 apartments, approximately. I see. Well, thank you for all that work you're doing to coordinate everyone and all those services. I know it's a big challenge. It uh, is. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. We, we really want to give people a sense of how hard this is for people already struggling. You know, it just makes life so much worse. Uh, if it those, does. It if does. Infrastructures aren't in place, right? Absolutely. Okay, great, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Awesome. I guess I'll just start with, with, I was so impressed that we, the amount of organization it was taking to get those boxes to people who needed them. Like Rosalba is working her, her patootie off, right? Every single day. She has a team of volunteers. It was amazing to watch that. You know, Steph, Cynthia Tibbs talked about creating local exchange if they had their own gardens, if they had their own repairmen uh, working in the developments. What else could you see as kind of tools that would bolster the local economy and make public housing more resilient to times like this? I think this this is um, this is where where money is could become such a like especially local I mean actually there is a study how the connections between people increases drastically by using local money because you have all these local connections people know each other there is a network of trust basically you simply by talking to each other more you simply by knowing each other so all these connections would already exist and that is what I would call a sort of a web of resilience a local resilience where what you just described as 
um, the the groceries or the boxes coming coming in and then having to organize um, uh, the work, which is great, you know, but all of these connections are probably kind of existing, but not really. So if, if a local economy had been there, all of this network had been, you know, already there. It's It's nothing new, so to say. So are you saying that could only happen or that would happen more likely with an alternative currency in place? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Currency becomes makes it a lot easier to exchange your services and goods. So this is why a local currency makes so much sense because it really is supporting local businesses and local residents um, and matching their, their unmet needs and their resources they have. Yeah, I think that's that's really the essential lesson here is local networks. Local networks are what keep us strong. Local networks are what keep us equitable. Local networks are what keep us embracing each other. And as you say, currencies help build local networks or local currencies help to build local networks. So there's a pathway out of this, you know, disparity and uh, vulnerability through strength of local trade, local trade networks. You know, actually, Rosalba and all these tenant leaders do form a local network already in place. But in everyday life, it's not a trade network. So they've had to turn it into a distribution network, whereas before it was just kind of like, you know, what what's going on in the policy side of the housing and, and, and you know, kind of managing things. Um, so what if those local networks could have the type of tools that we're talking about and informed by trade and facilitating trade? That could be a very different kind of life. You know, I think today it is so hard to imagine how... Um what a resilience life could actually look like um, because you're very quickly overwhelmed by now as what you've just seen, just distributing the boxes. It's so much work and it's so, it needs, it's immediate, you know, it's immediate help to get food on the table. So all the energy goes in there, but how to imagine how we could actually organize neighborhoods and local um networks in a different way seems so far away but in a way it's not please keep in mind that these recordings may not be as high quality as they usually are because we're doing them in a time of social distancing but thank you to zoom for allowing us to continue making this podcast we're an independent listener supported podcast thanks to our producer riley paul support us by rating this episode and sharing with all your friends and to learn more, join us at potofgold.world. I'm Stephanie Overbach. And I'm Mel Wymore. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.